Hi, I'm Bailey. And I'm Kara. And this is Mimosas with Hermosa podcast. We're glad you're here. Cheers. Cheers. It's freaking cold outside. Oh, cold outside. I walked outside today and it felt like my toes were ice cubes. Like I felt like I was at home, like Colorado home. And I guess there's reason why you moved away from there. Yeah, this is not it. (laughs) (laughs) Like to have to start my car to defrost it instead of getting the air conditioning going so my seats won't melt me really makes me upset. It really does blow my socks off every time the weather decides to go from 80 to 20 overnight here. You know, you'd think we'd get used to it and we always know it's coming, but it's always a shock. Really, it feels like a shock when you walk outside. Like, is this really our life again? (laughs) Well, like the last time we recorded, I had frozen pipes. And so this time I like ran all my faucets basically all night last night. And luckily, I don't have any frozen pipes, but we got to do it again tonight because this weather is hanging in here. You said it was like 42 tomorrow. I can handle that a little bit better. I don't know, though. Cold is cold. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, not into it. But anyways, I guess we uh, better get to podcasting, huh? Let's get into the Enneagram tonight. Okay. I mean, this this is your wheelhouse, so... I'm very excited to learn from you, but I'm also excited to, like, listen to your excitement because you love this so much. It has uh, really helped me figure out the people around me. And I haven't gotten everyone around me to do it, to take the test and to, like, type themselves. But the people that have done it, it has really helped me figure out how to process the way they react to things and their motivations throughout their life. Um... At work, I can see it happening. At home, I can see it happening. And instead of me feeling critical of the way they responded because it differs from the way I would respond in that situation, I can have more grace with them and the way they responded and say, okay, not necessarily that it's a crutch that they can act out, but that isn't them acting out in their mind. It's really the way they're processing information. Anyway, I only digress a tiny bit. Uh, <laughs> so probably get oh, into what the Enneagram actually is yes because today um one of my coworkers, Hannah she was asking what we were going to podcast about and I said we're going to talk about this and you know Kara's very excited she made me take the test didn't make me but she suggested I take the test um and I learned a lot about myself and a lot of things about other people and so I enjoy it I just don't know enough about it and I know a lot of other people have seen it like on Instagram and other social media platforms like people posting their types and um kind of some attributes of those types but still a lot of people don't know necessarily what this is that's true and I think it's come it's become really popular in the last decade probably way more popular than it was so it feels like the cool thing to do right now to to be able to toss around your Enneagram number and your Enneagram type um but I do get so excited when I see people that I didn't know knew their Enneagram number that 
are just openly talking about it because then I can learn more about them. I'm kind of obsessed with people and personalities and stories. I mean, we love stories on this podcast. So um, any type of vulnerable situation that I could know more about you and maybe you didn't expect, I love that too. So if we want to get into it, um, obviously the Enneagram is a personality typing system. It has nine distinct personality types. And each number equals one type, one through nine. So you can be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine. Um, you're only one number. Each number is an identifying factor in your basic fears, desires, and actions um, that you might take in times of stress and security. It pinpoints the way you view the world and um, relate to yourself and to others. Sometimes it's easy to say, I'm a two because my friend is a two and I do this one thing that they do, but one of them should stand out as being most in line with who you are once you take the test and you do the research. Um, I should probably preface this and say that the Enneagram is not a means to know everything there is to know about someone. It's incredibly open-ended. The negative feedback I've received in conversation has only been by people who are afraid to be put in a box and do not want people to know their weaknesses. So I definitely have a couple friends who, as soon as I said it was a personality test and as soon as test, they were mad um, at what the results said. They didn't want to believe that about themselves, number one. And number two, they didn't want anybody to know that about them because they didn't want their weaknesses to be used against them. So in my history uh, of watching people take the, the test and figure out who they are, it's kind of funny because I kind of know we've nailed the number when you're not happy with your results. Um, because <laughs> That's a tell it, it in itself. Because it you between the eyes of like, oh my gosh, this is really how I am. These are really my motivations. And sometimes it's more selfish than you want to let on. And sometimes it's more, um, your weaknesses are louder than you want to let on. So that can be kind of a compromising situation for people that they don't want to walk into. So I understand, but this isn't, and maybe you're choosy about who you say your Enneagram number to, but me personally, this is for me to learn more about you, not for me to use your weaknesses against you. Um, and I will say, if you, if you haven't taken this test or you want to or whatever, when you do take the test, be honest with yourself in the answers, because I think like, I used to do this when I was younger, when, like, you know, those BuzzFeed quizzes came out or whatever. Like, I would find myself answering the way I would think people would want me to answer or the way, like you said, my friends would answer or anything like that. Like, sit down by yourself, read the questions and answer truthfully, because that's how you're going to get the best results. And might I just add that that even that says a lot about the number that you are. Because <laughs> You're a shapeshifter and you're trying to be everything for everyone. So, yes, that's so such a good point. So true. And um, something that I've noticed, though, is that when I took the online test to find out my type, um, I wasn't actually sure of my number until I did extensive research to confirm. Um, it's important to not take the test Bible as you could answer questions differently depending on your current mood. Obviously, women are crazy. We are women and we are crazy. We can be quite moody. I answer questions based on weather that day. And so um, it's very important, just like you said, to be completely real with who you are. Try to answer for the majority 
time. Maybe not this hiccup in the road or speed bump or whatever. But I can say with resounding information that every person I have talked to who's taken the test and done their research, they report that they're feeling incredibly, almost uncomfortably seen and heard and affirmed in themselves. And that, I think that is kind of what I meant by not liking the number that you are. It hits you between the eyes because you learn something about yourself just in that moment. And then you continue to research it and go, oh my gosh, this is the reason why I reacted this way to this certain situation that happened two days ago. Or this is the reason I'm feeling this way right now um, in regards to someone that I work with or someone that's at home or a family member or whatever. But um, anyway, you're going to feel really seen. It might make you feel com- uncomfortable, but I think that's okay because once you start to dig into it, it's so eye opening. And so uh, grace giving, grace providing, when you know about the people around you, there's a large group of us at work now who know our numbers and we can like firsthand watch that number shine and we can see the strengths of that number come out in um, situations. We can see the stressful parts of that number, the weaknesses come out when things don't necessarily go the right way. Um, and so that's been really fun to pinpoint and to say, okay, she's, she's acting that way because of this is her number and this is the way that they process this type of information. So if I want to take it back a little bit though, um, a lot of people think this is just a brand new thing that someone has come up with recently, but um, the origins of the Enneagram have been around for centuries, actually. Some tracing back to Pythagorean mathematicians from the 17th century. Uh, it really took off in its current form around the 1960s and has since become a mainstream model to collect knowledge of differing personalities. Um, it's also been said by several Enneagram professionals that you're born with your dominant type and that by about four or five years old, you should be able to pinpoint your said type. Obviously, though, your identity is fluid at five, but you see children learning how to fit into the world at that point. So um, I have two four-year-olds and a seven-year-old, and I kind of have my wonderings about what they are. I still don't know that I can pinpoint them. Um, and I think I just haven't really asked the right pointed questions, but I don't necessarily love the idea of typing a child at four or five. I like it when that can take their own tests and figure out what their motivations are. Um, But anyway, it's possible that you could have your dominant type at a very early age. um, And some people feel that you're born with that. So see, and that's what I was going to ask you because like as a scientist, that's my profession. That's what I studied, whatever you know, it gets really interesting and you can get in the weeds in this, I'm sure. But like, you know, you're saying four or five years old. Well, that's not a lot of time for that kid to be in a certain environment. So you're talking like genetics or whatever your belief is versus environment. You know, like, have I always been the type I am? I don't know. Like, did I start coming that type because of something that happened to me? You know, Obviously, they're saying it's programmed into you, but I wonder if, like, our influences have something to do with that. So, yes, that's my belief, and I don't know that that's accurate, so disclaimer, this could be all wrong, but my belief (laughs) is that you are born as a specific number, but then um, situations that happen to you in your childhood and environments in your childhood can cause you to... um, capitalize on a strength side or a weakness side um we'll get into wings in a little bit and you can we can talk about 
the wing that you have and, and what you would have those wings. But um, I really do think that your childhood experiences kind of solidify the number, but that it's already there. You just kind of learn how it's, how you possess it. So I kind of want to like transition this. I am going to put a shameless plug for our Instagram, but if you follow Mimosas with Hermosa on Instagram, and if you already know, or you're going to take the test or whatever, send us what you are, if you're comfortable sharing, because I would love to know who we're talking to, too. Yeah. Um, I'd be very interested to know. Kara and I both share that page, so we'll both see it. Again, if you're only comfortable with it, do that. Um, maybe we'll put, like, one of those question boxes, and you can, like, submit it if you feel obligated to do so. But with that, Kara, do you want to do, like, a quick synopsis of the types I know there's nine types I know you can go on for days but just kind of like a snapshot of the different types and then we can maybe talk about what we are and get more into like wings and kind of like what this means big picture yep okay so um as I said nine types numbers one through nine um we'll go ahead and start with type one each type has a nickname um type ones the reformer you're gonna hear my papers because i have notes all right so let me just preface this and say i got a lot of this information on the enneagraminstitute.com because as much as i feel like i know about each number i don't i just wanted to get it right and so this was like from the godfather of enneagram written on the website <laughs> but i felt like it was good information that i wanted to share i kind of picked and piece together what I wanted to share. So type one is the reformer. Ones are conscientious and ethical with a strong sense of right and wrong. They're teachers, crusaders, and advocates for change, always striving to improve things, but afraid of making a mistake. Well-organized, orderly, and fastidious, they try to maintain high standards, but can slip into being critical and perfectionistic. They typically have problems with resentment and impatience. At their best, they are wise, discerning, realistic, and noble, and can be morally heroic. Um, one's basic fear is of being corrupt, evil, and defective. Their basic desire is to be good, to have integrity, to be balanced. Their key motivations are that they want to be right and not right as in I'm right and you're wrong, but right as in morally right. They want to strive higher and improve everything to be consistent with their ideas, to justify themselves, to be beyond criticism so as not to be condemned by anyone. Some examples of type one are Nelson Mandela, Kate Middleton, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, Meryl Streep, and Mary Poppins. Um, I think it's cool to hear Mary Poppins. I was addicted to Mary Poppins as a kid, but um, it's cool because she's so like, that's preposterous when you, I remember her saying that in the movie, like, for me, my experience with ones, one of my very best friends is a one, and um, everything is either black or white and either right or wrong. There's no gray area and um, things such as like tardiness or um, manners at the table, things like that can drive her bonkers. And it's because she has this firm belief in her head of what is right and what is wrong. And she doesn't, it's not that she's judging you for being wrong. She just wants everybody to be right. And, and she, because she feels like being right is what 
brings joy and happiness and she wants everybody to have happiness and joy. So let's all just be right and not do things that are wrong. Um, so ones believe that being strict with themselves and eventually becoming perfect will justify them in their own eyes and in the eyes of others. But by attempting to create their own brand of perfection, they often create their own personal hell. Instead of agreeing with the statement in Genesis, God saw what he had created and it was good. Ones intensely feel that it wasn't. There obviously have been some mistakes here. This orientation makes it difficult for them to trust their inner guidance, indeed to trust life. So ones come to rely heavily on their superego, a learned voice from their childhood, to guide them towards the greater good, which they so passionately seek. I found this part to be really interesting. When ones have gotten completely entranced in their personality, there is little distinction between them and this severe, unforgiving voice. Separating from it and seeing its genuine strengths and limitations is what growth for ones is about. So they have this overwhelming voice in their head of what is right and what is wrong. And sometimes they can't even figure out what they feel because they're so focused on what's right and what is wrong. So go ahead. So you said, obviously, one of your very best friends is a one. Do you have more than her that in your life that you know for sure is a one? Or is this more, is this yes. less common than your other numbers that you have in your life? Uh, I think I have four ones in my life on a daily basis. Okay. So That's quite a few ones. I mean. I think it is. Yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, they're very ones are very critical of others, but not in a judgmental way. And like I said earlier, it's just because they genuinely want everyone to be the most happy and they feel that the most happiness is surrounded around following the rules. And so um, not only are ones critical of others, they are the most critical of themselves. They have this inner voice that says, just like it said, um, about what Genesis says, God saw what he had created and it was good, but one saying it actually wasn't good. There's got to be something wrong here. Um, I see that so often where it's like they don't take compliments well. Um, they think that they should always be better. They're always striving to be more perfect. And so um, I think we as other numbers, our challenge with ones is to constantly build them up and let them know just how special they are, just how integral they are to the story and to the puzzle because um, they can get really down in the weeds on themselves by having that inner critic that's so strong. This makes sense. Yeah. I'd be interested to see what their love language is because I'm sure there's, I'm sure with all these types, there's got to be a correlation with their love language. Too. I mean, I'm sure it's all related. I know what it is, but like, right. I'd be interested for them to take the Enneagram test and then the love language test. I believe that two of the ones I'm in, am super close with theirs is acts of service. This makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. So type two is the helper. Twos are empathetic, sincere, and warm-hearted. They're friendly, generous, and self-sacrificing, but can also be sentimental, flattering, and people-pleasing. Some of the best people I know are twos. The best people. Um, they're well-meaning and driven to be close to others, but can slip into doing things for others in order to be needed. They strive, thrive, thrive on being needed. They typically have problems with possessiveness, with acknowledging their own needs, 
At their best, they're unselfish and altruistic. They have un- unconditional love for others. Um, their basic fear is of being unwanted, unworthy of being loved. And their basic desire is to be loved. Um, their key motivations are wanting to be loved, to express their feelings for others, to be needed and appreciated, to get others to respond to them, to vindicate their claims about themselves. And some examples of twos, which I found very interesting. There's a whole list of them that I found, but I picked out three. I picked out four and three of the four are either president's wives or someone that was affiliated with the president close like Monica Lewinsky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Eleanor interesting. Roosevelt and <laughs> Reagan. It's like they're how I can describe the twos is like, this is the person you want on your side. This is the person you want supporting you, cheering you on, motivating you. Um, They are going to be fiercely loyal and build you up. But it's funny that these are president's wives because it's like, they kind of want to fade in, but just feel so needed. And in their healthy state, they strive to be the most genuinely helpful they can to other people. But in their less healthy state, they're more highly invested in seeing themselves as helpful, but less of being actually helpful. People are drawn to twos like bees to honey. Healthy twos warm and enliven others with their appreciation and attention, helping people to see positive qualities in themselves they had not previously recognized. Twos can be considered the good parent that everyone wishes to have someone who sees them as they are, understands them with immense compassion, helps and encourages with infinite patience and is always willing to lend a hand Twos believe that they must always put others first and be loving and unselfish. If they want to get love in return, the problem is that putting others first makes twos secretly angry and resentful feelings. They work hard to repress or deny. So I have seen several twos just get tired of being everything for everyone. Right. And um, just they want to feel so needed, but it's also sometimes they feel used because they've enabled it. I'm thinking back to your white crayon comment, like this makes (laughs) so much sense. Not to say she's a two because she's not. But anyway, we should have like a, I mean, people know what I am, but we should have like a question box to be like, what number do you think Bailey is? I know, I know. But I think we share a two mutual friend right we do uh maybe yes 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 yes. yeah okay so something I've learned partially because like you'll learn that I recognize twos more so than the other numbers not that I am a two but I understand twos like I see and we've talked about this like I see in arguments like if, if their significant other or friend or whatever comes to them to vent, they're always the grounded, well, let's look at it from their perspective. Like I, I want to make sure your venting is necessary. And sometimes you don't need that. Sometimes you just need them to fuel the fire, but they're, they want to help and they want to fix it. So they try and like solve it for you. And you're like, no, I just need to be mad. <laughs> or... Not that I just need to be mad, but I just need to talk this out. I've already thought through this in full length and depth. I don't need a resolution out of you. I just need you to listen. Right. But like they want to fix it so bad for you because they care so much. They're that compassionate about it. But I think sometimes 
being so involved in making sure that you're everyone for everybody makes you so much less involved in figuring out who you actually are. Yeah. And I can see this common too that we have, I'm not going to call them out because obviously they may not want everybody to know, but um, you know, they, they do everything for me or try to, because you know, I am by myself here and you know, their significant other is one of my very best friends. And so they drop everything if I need something. And sometimes I'm like riddled with guilt because I know they would do it if I asked them to or not. But I could see how like eventually they get worn out because I've just seen the stuff that they do just for me. I can't imagine everyone else in their life too. Exactly. Exactly. Makes sense. Okay. So type three is the achiever. Threes are self-assured, attractive and charming, ambitious, competent, and energetic. They can also be status conscious and highly driven for advancement. They're diplomatic and poised, but can also be overly concerned with their image and what others think of them. They typically have problems with workaholism and competitiveness. At their best, self-accepting, authentic, everything they seem to be, role models who inspire others. Their basic fear is of being worthless and their basic desire is to feel valuable and worthwhile. Key motivations are that they want to be affirmed, to distinguish themselves from others, to have attention, to be admired, and to impress others. Some examples of threes are Bill Clinton, Condoleezza Rice, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, and Elvis Presley. And so I noticed a theme when I was finding threes, um, celebrities that are threes, and it's Definitely people in authority or public figures because threes have that drive to be highly achieving. Um, They're often successful and well-liked because of all the types they most believe in themselves and in developing their talents and capacities. Threes act as living role models and paragons because of their extraordinary embodiment of socially valued qualities. Healthy threes know that they are worth the effort it takes to be the best that they can be. And their success at doing so inspires others in their own self-development. <clears> Through <throat> that their lives are a success. However, that is defined by their family, their culture, and their social sphere. In some families, success means having a lot of money, a grand house, a new expensive car, and other status symbols. You see some of those in the people that we listed. Others value ideas, and success to them means distinguishing oneself in academic or scientific worlds. Success in other circles might mean becoming famous as an actor or model or writer or as a public figure of some kind, perhaps as a politician. A religious family might encourage a child to become a minister, a priest, or rabbi since these professions have status in their community and in the eyes of the family. No matter how success is defined, threes will try to become somebody noteworthy in their family and their community. They will not be a nobody. To this end, threes learn to perform in ways that will garner them praise and positive attention. Spoiler alert, I'm a three. Um, <laughs> as children, they learn to recognize the activities that were valued by their parents or peers and put their energies into excelling in those activities. Threes I also feel like we talked about that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Threes learned how to cultivate and develop whatever about them is attractive or potentially impressive. So it's like we get, geez, I just gave it away. We get uh, positive affirmations. And also our love language as threes is words of affirmation. We get positive affirmations and we find ourselves just doing more and more and more building upon that one thing that we got a positive affirmation for. 
because we want more. There's never enough affirmations, at least personally for me. Um, I can like receive an affirmation at like 1 p.m. And by like 102, I'm ready for another one. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm programmed the same. And yeah, I gave mine away too. But like I... When I took this test, like literally we, you and I had talked maybe two, three times and I knew I wanted you to be on the podcast on some level. And so I reached out to you. Granted, I've met you in person twice at this point. Right. And the first thing you say to me is, have you taken this test? And I'm like, what kind of psycho am I getting like attached to here? (laughs) But then it was very interesting because I took the test and it like it had that same effect that you talked about earlier is like holy shiitake mushrooms like this is me on a piece of paper but the funny thing that got me was like potential careers which like you said this is not bible this is not whatever but potential careers threes have is entrepreneurship that's weird i've done that um (laughs) what was the other one oh event planning yeah weird <laughs> that one was like slap in the face you sent me that like yeah well I think you've nailed it I think we figured this out yeah it's just it's I encourage you to take this test not only for yourself but the people around you just so you can like it gives me some peace like yeah like you're it, not yeah I'm not insane like this is okay Mm-hmm. Other people are this way or else it wouldn't be a personality type. True. And That's I surround myself with them. You and I, I have more threes. I mean, I haven't heard all the numbers and we're going to get there, but I know for a fact, most of the people in my life are threes. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, uh, now that I know you, I know more, obviously more than I did, but I, what excites me about this now is I now know someone that encompasses every number that was the goal. And then I, I just kept asking people to take it. And I finally got like one of everybody. So <laughs> in like very immediate circles. So it's exciting to me because I can just watch it all happen. You get us all in one room and it's like, whoa, this is cool. You're looking at it through a different lens. Right. Sorry. Continue on. I You're keep okay. interrupting you. So uh, that's about it for type three. Type four is the individualist. I have a friend who's a four and she is a unicorn like I'll get into it. Fours are self-aware, sensitive, and reserved. They're emotionally honest, creative, and personal, but can also be moody and self-conscious. Withholding themselves from others due to feeling vulnerable and defective, they can also feel disdainful and exempt from ordinary ways of living. They typically have problems with melancholy, self-indulgence, and self-pity. At their best, inspired and highly creative, they're able to renew themselves and transform their experiences. Their basic fear is that they have no identity or personal significance and their basic desire is to find themselves and their significance to create an identity. Fours, this one four in particular, has been the most fun. Okay, they've all been fun. But she has been so much fun to get to know and figure out, okay, this is why she feels this way. Like, this is why she does these things. Um, And I'm going to say that about every type because it has just been really fun. But this one's different because she's like creative and like contradictory moment to moment contradictory. Anyway, um, 
they want to express themselves in their individuality and to create and surround themselves with beauty, to maintain certain moods and feelings, to withdraw, to protect their self-image, to take care of emotional needs before attending to anything else and to attract a rescuer. So if you go back to that, it says you want to express themselves in their individuality to create and surround themselves with beauty. And then it says to withdraw, to protect their self-image. That's the contradictory I'm seeing because super in search for all the friends, let's all be friends. But when I don't want to be friends with you, I'm not going to be friends with you. Like I'm going to withdraw for as long as I need to, to get whatever it is that withdrawing gains me. Cause as a, I don't really understand the withdrawing thing, <laughs> but uh, I see like, and then like a flip of a switch, it's like, okay, she's ready to come back out and, and like be with all of us. And then the flip might switch again and we've got to withdraw again. And it's just totally understood now that I know her and now that I know what her number is, it's like, okay, that this is just her time and we're going to give her her time and she'll come back. Like she always comes back and we're going to have a blast when she comes back, but we're just going to give her this time for now. Um, I probably saved your friendship, honestly, because if people are like that to me, yes, like I don't normally give them grace. I'm like, what the hell is wrong? Like you're being ghosted. Like you just feel not involved anymore like you're not friends but she comes back just as passionate as she was when she left and you may not see her out and about aside from like her day-to-day duties that she has to have for weeks but then when the switch flips she's good to go and she will be number one party girl okay so examples of fours edgar Allan poe bob dylan stevie nicks angelina jolie and johnny depp you can see like creative tendencies in all of those kind of like their own person. Um, they don't really care about blending in with anybody. Um, fours are the individualists because they maintain their identity by seeing themselves as fundamentally different from others. They feel that they are unlike other human beings and consequently that no one can understand them or love them adequately. They often see themselves as uniquely talented, possessing special one-of-a-kind gifts, but also as uniquely disadvantaged or flawed. Here's those contradictory statements again. More than any other type, fours are acutely aware of and focused on their personal differences and deficiencies. While it is true that fours often feel different from others, they do not really want to be alone. They feel socially awkward or self-conscious, but they deeply wish to connect with people who understand them and their feelings. The romantics of the Enneagram... They long for someone to come into their lives and appreciate the secret self that they have privately nurtured and hidden from the world. If over time such validation remains out of reach, fours begin to build their identity around how unlike everyone else they are. That's when the unicorn comes out. If they're not seen as they want to be seen, then we're not seen as we want to be seen because we're just so different. We're just unlike anybody else and so special and so unicorn-like and glitter, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, uh, the outsider therefore comforts herself by becoming an insistent individualist. Everything must be done on her own, in her own way, on her own terms. Four's mantra becomes, I am myself. Nobody understands me. I am different and special. While they secretly wish they could enjoy the easiness, easiness and confidence that others seem to enjoy. So they want so much, but then find themselves in situations where they don't really want to go get it. This makes sense. I think I know yeah. a four. Yeah. So type five is the investigator. 
Fives are alert, insightful, and curious, able to concentrate and focus on developing complex ideas and skills. They're independent, innovative, and inventive. They can also become preoccupied with their thoughts and imaginary constructs. They become detached, yet high-strung and intense. They typically have problems with eccentricity and isolation. At their best, visionary pioneers, often ahead of their time and able to see the world in an entirely new way. So these are like your super analytical people. I have a five very close to me and so much research, so much knowledge, so smart, yet sometimes unable to connect with people because of how much information is there. Um, basic fear is being useless, helpless, or incapable. Basic desire is to be capable and competent. Key motivations are wanting to possess knowledge in any way, shape, or form to understand the environment, to have everything figured out as a way of defending the self from threats from the environment. Examples of fives are Buddha, Albert Einstein, Stephen Hawking, Vincent Van Gogh, and Kurt Cobain. So fives want to find out why things are the way they are. As I said, super analytical. They want to understand how the world works, whether it is the cosmos, the microscopic world, the animal, vegetable, or mineral kingdoms, or the inner world of their imaginations. They're super scientific. They are always searching, asking questions, and delving into things in depth. They do not accept received opinions and doctrines, feeling a strong need to test the truth of most assumptions for themselves. Behind five's relentless pursuit of knowledge are deep insecurities about their ability to function successfully in the world. Fives feel that they do not have an ability to do things as well as others, but rather than engage directly with activities that might bolster their confidence, fives take a step back into their minds where they feel more capable. So you find these sometimes kind of a hermit, not necessarily engaging in activities outside of their day-to-day um, because that's just where they feel more comfortable because they're not having to outwardly express themselves in any, in any way. Their belief is that from the safety of their minds, they'll eventually figure out how to do things and one day rejoin the world. Thus, much, much of their time gets spent collecting and developing ideas and skills they believe will make them feel confident and prepared. They want to retain everything that they have learned and carry it around in their heads. The problem is that while they are engrossed in this process, they're not interacting with others or even increasing many other practical and social skills. They devote more and more time to collecting and attending to their collections less and less to anything related to their real needs. So very scientific driven, very data driven, um, always soaking up as much knowledge as possible, but sometimes to a fault of social aspects. When you uh, talk about this type, I think of the guys on the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, 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 that's probably accurate, yeah. The ones who just kind of like, we're okay with staying in, you know, not really getting out and having to, it, the world is too people right? And people don't have the same knowledge that I do. Right. And, or maybe they have more knowledge than I do, and I don't want to face that. Yeah, I don't want to admit that somebody might know more than me about this subject. Right. Okay, so type six is the loyalist, the committed, security-oriented type. Sixes are reliable, hardworking, responsible, and trustworthy, excellent troubleshooters. They foresee problems and foster cooperation, but can also become defensive, evasive, and anxious, running on stress while complaining about it. One thing I've known about sixes is in a, if I'm in a meeting with a six and there's several people in the room and we're all trying to figure out how to get to this one end goal, the six will get to that end goal in their head and come all the way back before any of the rest of us can get there. 
but it's like I can see this six hinting along the way like well let's think about it from a different way well let's what what if we look at it this way and it's like she's trying to get us all to that level but she's already gone there and back and come up with all the things wrong or all the things right and she's not trying to be judgy or pressuring to say oh look look at this solution I came up with it's like let's all get there at the same time let's all arrive there and then it will be everyone's idea anyway um they can be cautious and indecisive but also reactive defiant and rebellious they typically have problems with self-doubt and suspicion at their best they're internally stable and self-reliant courageously championing themselves and others their basic fear is of being without support and guidance and their basic desire is to have security and support so their key motivations are to want to have security to feel supported by others to have certitude and reassurance to test the attitudes of others towards them to fight against anxiety and insecurity. Some of examples of sixes is Mark Twain, Princess Diana, Eminem, Mark Wahlberg, Jennifer Aniston, and Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, sixes by nature, and I don't know why they get this rap, but they get a rap to be very fearful people. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily say fearful as in, this guy is falling, the world's going to come to an end tomorrow, but fearful as in not having all of their questions answered. Um, so they're constantly, and I think this is the sixes kind of hitting on the fives a little bit, like constantly delving into research to make sure that everything that they put their mind to, they're going to absolutely be the best at and, and know everything there is to know about it. And there's not going to be any surprising happenings there's nothing going to come unexpected They're, they are fully prepared when this thing happens and i've seen situations where it, a situation situations where they weren't fully prepared and then they were the best person to be in charge of making sure everyone was escorted through this distress well and you would think totally bulletproof this six was totally bulletproof I mean, handled it so well. And then five, six hours later, she's in a ball on the floor because she's coming off of this. Oh my gosh, I didn't know everything that was coming at me. And now I, I know that I let everyone well to try to get through this distress, but now I have to process what the heck just happened because I didn't have enough research. Um, so they will go down with the ship and hang on to relationships of all kinds far longer than most other types. Sixes are loyal to ideas, systems, and beliefs, even to the belief that all ideas be questioned or defied. I've seen this go both ways. And this, I've seen this go both ways, specifically around COVID vaccinations. Um, I know a couple of sixes who absolutely refuse to be vaccinated because the government is not going to tell them what to do. And they are questioning every intention and belief that tells them this is what you as a citizen should do. And I've seen sixes be so afraid of the unknowns of COVID and find that there's actual research that says that the vaccines can help and be the first person in line to get the said vaccine. Um, so you're, you're fearful in both instances, but you're either fearful of a sickness or you're fearful of whatever will happen if you do what the government says to do and it's it might be the wrong thing 
because there's not enough research to show that it's crucial. It's um, a lot of fear that they have to live with. A lot of fear. But then when you say, are you a fearful person there? They're like, no, not fearful at all. I, I don't live in fear, but it's this like inner anxiety of just not knowing everything there is to know about everything. Definite internalizers. Yes. Um, not all sixes go along with the status quo. Their beliefs may be rebellious and anti-authoritarian, even revolutionary. In any case, they will typically fight for their beliefs more fiercely than they will fight for themselves. And they will defend their community or family more tenaciously than they will defend themselves. The reason sixes are so loyal to others is that they do not want to be abandoned and left without support, their basic fear. Thus, the central issue for type six is a failure of self-confidence. Until sixes can get in touch with their own inner guidance, they're like a ping pong ball that is constantly shuffling back and forth between whatever influence is hitting the hardest in any given moment. Because of this reactivity, no matter what we say about sixes, the opposite is often also as true. They are both strong and weak, fearful and courageous, trusting and distrusting, defenders and provokers, sweet and sour, aggressive and passive, bullies and weaklings, on the defensive and on the offensive, Thinkers and doers, group people and soloists, believers and doubters, cooperative and obstructionistic, tender and mean, generous and petty, and on and on. It is the contradictory picture that is the characteristic fingerprint of sixes, the fact that they are a bundle of opposites. There's literally a walking conundrum. Yes. In any moment, you, you will say, this is the way she's going to react to this situation because she's a six. And she will react to a situation because she's a six, but it's the opposite way that you thought she would. But it still makes sense for a six. It's the most, I, I said about the four that I've had the most fun, but the six was, was the most challenging for me because I, for hours I sat down with one six in my life and was like, okay, tell me about this situation that happened to you and how you process that information. And it was totally unexpected the way that it all went down. But as I began to hear story after story after story, I could see it happening. And now, because I've done the research with this person, when things happen, I can see the immediate reaction that still sometimes surprises me. But it is so forthcoming about what number she is. So anyway, fours are unicorns, sixes are a conundrum, and fives are like, you're geniuses. <laughs> So uh, sevens are called the, the enthusiast, perverted, optimistic, versatile, and spontaneous, playful, high-spirited, and impractical. They can also misapply their many talents, becoming overextended, scattered, and undisciplined. They constantly seek new and exciting experiences, but can become distracted and exhausted by staying on the go. They typically have problems with impatience and impulsiveness. At their best, they focus their talents on worthwhile goals, becoming appreciative, joyous, and satisfied. Sevens are, I have a friend who's married to a seven and she says all the time, if there is an ounce less of fun or if there's like no ounces of fun in this thing that we need to do, it's just not. And we're going to, or we're going to do it for two minutes and then we're going to move on to the thing that has the fun. Sevens are like chasers of all the fun things. They can reshape everything into being a fun situation and if they can't reshape it, they're running from it as fast as they can. Their basic fear is of being deprived and in pain. Their basic desire is to be satisfied and content to have their needs fulfilled. 
Their key motivations are to want to maintain their freedom and happiness and to avoid missing out on worthwhile experiences. So FOMO times 10,000. Selves excited and excited to avoid and discharge pain. Examples of this, Amelia Earhart, Joe Biden, Elton John, Mick Jagger, George Clooney, and Jim Carrey. Sevens are enthusiastic about almost everything that catches their attention. They approach life with curiosity, optimism, and a sense of adventure, like kids in a candy store who look at the world in wide-eyed, rapt anticipation of all the good things they're about to experience. They're bold and vivacious, pursuing what they want in life with a cheerful determination. Sevens cope with the loss of essential guidance by using the trial and error method. They try everything to make sure they know what is best. On a very deep level, sevens do not feel that they can find what they really want in life that they therefore tend to try everything and ultimately may even resort to anything as a substitute for what they are really looking for. Quote, if I can't have what will really satisfy me, I'll enjoy myself anyway. I'll have all kinds of experiences that way. I cannot, I will not feel bad about not getting what I really want, even though they don't know what they really want. So would you say this is like your more adventurous or like adrenaline junkie type friends? Probably. Yes. The thing that becomes a challenge with, being around a seven is that there is no space for any other emotion besides happiness. And so I I think those emotions have to be given their time and their day. And it's hard because you can't ever get a seven to sit down and go, okay, sit with me here in this pain or sit with me here in this disappointment. There is none of that with them. They are running from any of the emotions or feelings that don't bring them joy. Whereas a little bit of a, are, like a masker. Yes. Yes. It just, just push it away. Reframe it. A four is the one you want sitting with you in a time of sadness because they are just used to it. They sit at home and in sadness for weeks until they're ready to come out and be happy again. So they'd love it when you decide to sit in happiness with, I mean, sit in sadness with them. Um, <clears throat> sorry. We can see this in action even in the most trivial areas of their daily lives. Unable to decide whether he wants vanilla, chocolate, or strawberry ice cream, a seven will want all three flavors just to be sure that he does not miss out on this right choice. Having two weeks for a vacation and the desire to visit Europe brings a similar quandary. Which countries and cities to visit? Which sites to see? The seven's way of dealing with this will be able to will be to cram as many different countries, cities, and attractions into his vacation as possible. While they are scrambling after exciting experiences, the real object of their heart's desire, their personal rosebud, as it were, may be so deeply buried in their unconscious that they are never really aware of precisely what it is. Furthermore, as sevens speed up their pursuit of whatever seems to offer freedom and satisfaction, they tend to make worse choices. They're less able to be satisfied because everything is experienced indirectly through the dense filter of their fast-paced mental activity. The result is that sevens end up anxious, frustrated, and enraged with fewer resources available to them physically, emotionally, or financially. They may end up ruining their health, their relationships, and their finances in their search for happiness. Do you know somebody like this? (laughs) Yeah. I I have two people that come to my mind right now. Yes. Just like, like you said, adrenaline junkies, experience seekers to the less of all finances, all logic, Like, to their detriment. Put it on a credit card. Yeah. I would love to be more like that, but I can't even gamble. It makes me so nervous. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Type 8 is the challenger. 
eights are self-confident, strong, and assertive. These are the people, oh my gosh, when I think about an eight, <laughs> I saw this meme the other day and it was like, it's the, this meme that's been going around and it's a little girl and like everything behind her is on fire burning. And it says, and she has this smirk, like she's literally just set everything on fire behind her. And it says like when someone tries to cut in front of an eight in traffic and this <laughs> like, no, I'm going to blow your house up. Like that's what happens here. So um, protective, resourceful, straight talking and decisive, but can also be egocentric and domineering. Eights feel they must control their environment, especially people sometimes becoming confrontational and intimidating Eights typically have problems with their tempers and with allowing themselves to be vulnerable. At their best, they're self-mastering. They use their strength to improve others' lives, becoming heroic, magnanimous, and inspiring. The basic fear is of being harmed or controlled by others. Their basic desire is to protect themselves, to be in control of their own life and destiny. Key motivations are to want to be self-reliant, to prove their strength and resist weaknesses, to be important in their world, to dominate the environment, and to stay in control of their situation. Some examples of eights are, as you'd have it, some presidents, Winston Churchill, MLK Jr., Donald Trump, Queen Latifah, Clint Eastwood, Jack Nicholson. Um, eights enjoy taking on challenges themselves as well as giving others opportunities that challenge them to exceed themselves in some way. Eights are charismatic and have the physical and psychological capacities to persuade others to follow them into all kinds of endeavors, from starting a company to rebuilding a city to running a household to waging war to making peace. Eights have enormous willpower and vitality. They feel most alive when they are exercising these capacities in the world. They use their abundant energy to affect changes in their environment, to leave their mark on it, but also to keep the environment and especially other people from hurting them and those they care about. At an early age, Eights understand that this requires strength, will, persistence, and endurance, qualities that they develop in themselves and which they look for in others. They do not want to be controlled or to allow others to have power over them. Whether the power is psychological, sexual, social, or financial, much of their behavior is involved with making sure that they retain and increase whatever power they have for as long as possible. An eight may be a general or a gardener, a small businessman or a mogul, the mother of a family or the superior of a religious community. No matter... Being in charge and leaving their imprint on their sphere is uniquely characteristic of them. Eights are the true rugged individualists of the Enneagram. More than any other type, they stand alone. They want to be independent and resist being indebted to anyone. They often refuse to give in to social convention, and they can defy fear, shame, and concern about the consequences of their actions. Although they are usually aware of what people think of them, they do not let the opinions of others sway them. They go about their business with a steely determination that can be awe-inspiring, even intimidating to others. I would definitely say that the eights in my life can be seen as intimidating. Um, don't catch them on the wrong day. Even the right day might be the wrong day. Um, just very fierce, uh, fierce for the people they love, very loyal. Um, they're going to go to the ends of the earth to prove that they are right and that they can be followed and it doesn't really have anything, in my opinion, to do with being liked. They don't have the people-pleasing tendencies that we have. They just want to run the world. And I think that's a nice quality to have, even though I feel like the fierceness is off the charts sometimes. Yeah, I could, I can see a few of the people that... So, obviously, I'm in a animal science-based career, and that career includes veterinarians. 
And the veterinarians that I have been around, not all of them, a lot of them are good, kind-hearted, softer than this type necessarily, but they have to take charge. They have to make decisions. They have to be assertive and they have to be confident because that animal's life is in their hands and that's why they do so good at that job. Right. And I, I've seen a lot of, and I'm not an expert, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like a lot of their intentions may seem like steamrolling and just like bulldozing through, but really they're just assertive and want, they're not power hungry, but they, they lead with power. Yes. Instead of, instead of influence, they lead with power on how to be powerful and they've done the research on how to be viewed as someone to follow they have all the means to be followed um it's just like on the fiercest level on the fiercest so type nine is the peacemaker it's funny because these two numbers um are right next to each other and i don't know a nine wing eight we'll get into the wings in, in a second i'd love to know one Um, nines are accepting, trusting, and stable. They're usually creative, optimistic, and supportive, but can also be too willing to go along with others to keep the peace. Nine rock the boat. They want to make sure everyone in the room is happy and they will form to whatever that opinion is. They have their own opinions, but they don't think you care to know them or that they matter. They want everything to go smoothly and be without conflict, but they can also tend to be complacent, simplifying anything upsetting. They typically have problems with inertia and stubbornness. At their best, they're indomitable and all-embracing. They are able to bring people together and heal conflicts. Their basic fear is of loss and separation. Their basic desire is to have inner stability and peace of mind. Some key motivations are to want to create harmony in their environment, to avoid conflicts and tension, to preserve things as they are, to resist whatever would upset or disturb them. I've heard nine say, I don't like change. I don't like change. Um, some examples of a nine are Abraham Lincoln, Ronald Reagan, Morgan Freeman, and Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg. We sometimes call the nines the crown of the Enneagram because at the top of the symbol and because it seems to include the whole of it. Nines can have the strength of eights, the sense of fun and adventure of sevens, the dutifulness of sixes, the intellectualism of fives, the creativity of fours, the attractiveness of threes, the generosity of twos, and the idealism of ones. However, what they generally do not have is a sense of really enhancing themselves, a strong sense of their own identity. Nine demonstrate the universal temptation to ignore the disturbing aspects of life and to seek some degree of peace and comfort by numbing out. They respond to pain and suffering by attempting to live in a state of premature peacefulness, whether it is in a state of false spiritual attainment or in more gross denial. More than any other type, nines demonstrate the tendency to run away from the paradoxes and tensions of life by attempting to transcend them by seeking to find simple and painless solutions to their problems. So they try to stay in a very even kill environment, not necessarily happy. It doesn't have to be like a seven, like super happy all the time, but they just need to make everyone around them even. And there's no excessive anger, excessive sadness or excessive happiness. Even it's just, let's all just kind of like stay at this status quo and I hope nobody asked me for my opinion. I don't think that my opinion matters. So do you think they're creating a false harmony? Yes. Yes. And I think that when, when things probably 
become heated, they don't allow it to because they're trying to keep the peace. Um, but also, they're not going to stand in the way of heatedness. <sighs> I don't know. I find nines a little confusing sometimes because I know that they, and, and the nine value so much of what their opinions are, but they oftentimes choose to just not share them because they don't want to rock the boat by anyone. Yeah. Like, like we talked about twos, you know, they want to fix it and they want to help. I feel like the way you describe nines, they almost go out of their way to make it okay. Even when it's not like they don't seek to fix it. They seek to numb it almost. Yes. And they're, they're good listeners, too, to just say, yeah, this is the way I'm feeling. And they logical to say, well, you probably feel this way because of this. And that's validated. Like, they'll, they'll validate your feelings and say, I understand why you feel this way. But they aren't necessarily trying to get you out of that mindset or making you stay there either. They're just kind of helping you understand the mindset in general. They keep the boat from rocking and tipping that's- over. Okay, so there's your nine types. Um, we could get into wings. I can go over it really quickly, but um, just explain like what a wing is, because then we can talk about our personalities and then kind of go off of that. Right. So each number obviously has a number on either side of it. Um, for instance, an A could have a seven or a nine wing. A nine could have an eight or a one wing. Most people have a dominant wing. I personally am a three wing two and it's been heavily studied that in the latter part of your life, you may begin assessing the opposite wing more. Um, Everyone has a more dominant wing. Mine's a two wing. And so it's highly likely that in the beginning of your life, in the first half, you'll have your dominant wing. And then the last half of my life, I may start accessing that four wing more often because I'm a three. Right now, I'm a high three-wing two, but there are certain situations that arise where I can access the four-wing and be more aligned in those four thoughts and motivations. And um, the four, remind me what the four is, sorry. The unicorn. Okay. okay. See, I have a hard time imagining myself there. See, and I don't. I could see, so I'm a three-wing two also. Yes. Obviously, Karen and I get along for a multitude of reasons. That's one of them. Um, but when you explain the four, I feel that because I can hermit and not talk to anybody and be totally fine and just decompress, disassociate all of that. But yes. when I come back, like we're coming back. So maybe you are already accessing the four. That's cool. That's good to yeah. know. I think I am. And, and it's so, it's weird self-analyzing yourself like this, but like, I definitely like, especially living by myself and doing my own thing and whatever, you're almost forced into that. And so maybe that's why I'm coming into it a little earlier in life than maybe you or, you know, another three wing two, whatever. But like, I'm forced in that situation to like, have to be by myself or have to like, be by my, like, I'm an introvert too. I can say that I would love to go on a trip to like Hawaii by myself and spend five days there Mm -hmm. completely by myself and literally talk to anyone the whole time. However, on about day half, I'm over it. 
I need to, I'm going to be talking on the elevator. I'm going to be talking to the people that serve me the food, like interviewing everyone. There are times I work in sales. So there's times, times when I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of talking to people, answering the phone, answering emails. This is exhausting. And then I think about if I went away and I would just be absolutely lost. So I look forward to a time I can be more comfortable in those environments, but right now it just doesn't feel that way. So That's weird because I'm definitely opposite because I work sales, well, client service technically. Yeah. Same. And I am now no longer in that. I don't answer phones. I don't do any of that. And I am at peace. Hmm. I know. Okay. So another thing to note before we wrap up is um, each number goes to another number on the diagram in stress and in growth. So, for instance, a one can go to a four in stress and a seven in growth. This will make more sense once you take time into the maps. But um, there's also times in my life where I can go to my six in growth and my nine in Um But it's, it's hard to think about in your situations that that arise with you where there's stress on the horizon, um, you can sometimes pinpoint some aspects of those other numbers where you go to and motivations behind the way that you've acted. It's kind of a huge confusing thing, but you have your, your, um, you have, I'm trying to say dominant number, and then you have your dominant wing. And then in other situations, you can also go two different directions. So, but we should definitely focus more on the dominant number of the dominant wing because that's going to be your biggest reason for the motivations and um, actions you take on a daily basis. So. I think the cool thing about this test, obviously it's a personality test. And obviously you have to look inward to yourself to kind of assess some situations or kind of understand yourself and others better um so you definitely teach yourself to give people grace when you take this test because it's like oh this makes sense of why they were combative when this happened or this makes sense but i also we are talking our ritual before we do the podcast is we eat dinner go over briefly what we're going to talk about because we want it to be authentic and real and like an actual conversation so we don't necessarily get into it too deep but we were kind of talking about it and I said the coolest thing that I got from taking this test or you know one of the most challenging things is you know it's going to talk to you about your faults or your weaknesses and a lot of people settle into those so they say you know and I see it in zodiac signs I see it in enneagrams I see it in disc profiles whatever whatever test or thing we're talking about people settle into those flaws and use it as a crutch so like for instance you know like you got combative with somebody that you didn't need to and instead of saying wow that was an opportunity to slow down and not react that way it's a well I'm a this number or I'm a Pisces or whatever so that's just the way I am and a lot of people get really really comfortable in that because they don't want to use it as a tool. And so I think when you do take this test, it's really interesting to learn about your strengths. And, you know, it kind of gives you a confidence boost because it lists all these cool attributes that you have. 
and what people admire about you and, and things like that. But it's, it's so challenging. And I, I challenge everyone who has taken the test or is going to take the test to look at those weaknesses and work on them instead of relying on them, work on them, you know, don't be combative in that situation. Realize why the other person is responding the way that they are and tailor your response mature, like to be more mature, more understanding, give more grace. And I think that's going to kind of make you a better rounded person. Absolutely. I've made like this push at work to have everyone that's hired test that way and not as a yes or no filter for being hired, but like a, before this person starts, just get some grace around how, how things might look different or maybe as they're hired, like when they're in their, they're in their onboarding process. Like, I just think it's so beneficial and so good to see these situations and reactions under this lens because it just provides so much more understanding. I think when I was, when I started my client service role at the company, I, I wish somebody had, I wish, first of all, I took the test and, I, and then I wish somebody had my test results because that's what led to my downfall in that position is I am a three wing two. So I seek affirmation. I grind for others to recognize my achievements. I grind for other people to say, wow, Bailey has done such and such great job. You know, I live for, and this is, this is not healthy, but I live for, you know, team's message that says shout out to Bailey Palmer for doing X, Y, Z. Like I, mm-hmm. I live for that. And I don't think my supervisor understood that about me. And so like, we became very disconnected very fast because my success and achievements and my work ethic became expected instead of appreciated and it burned me out. Yep. And it's, it's fault of both parties, but I wish they understood why I was working so hard. Yeah. I want to do a good job and I want to succeed and I want the company to succeed, but I'm also doing it for the pat on the back that I, I could not seem to, get from right the people I wanted it from and I guess to like wrap it up I just wish and we'll get into this on another episode but I just wish we had confidence in ourselves and didn't have to seek it so much from elsewhere but yeah we are and we've learned to appreciate it through this research we love being threes um even though it comes as quite the challenge but (laughs) we can put our Instagram page to the quiz that I normally send out. Um, and then you can follow, you can take the quiz and then send us your results. Like Bailey said earlier, we want to know what you are, not just because we want to know who we're listening, who is listening to us, but Hey, I'm just nosy. And I want to know who's around me and what number you are. Cause when I see you in church or when I see you in town, I'm going to be like, situation. Mm, and now I know, and that's not anything against you. It's just way more understanding. And I just want all the understanding and all the grace for everybody. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Our Instagram is mimosas with hermosa podcast. Follow us, send us a message. Um, We'll post the link, Um, but follow us there too, for any updates. Um, Our March schedules are pretty crazy. We're trying to figure out recordings um, for that. 
Um, also, we appreciate we got some feedback that people were dying for the next episode. We were both um, absent last week, so we didn't get an episode recorded. But um, we appreciate the feedback. Um, Kara has been having really good conversations about the podcast and feedback, and I have too, and we appreciate that. And so if you want to use social media as feedback or you know stuff you want us to talk about or stuff that resonated with you, like we are achievers. We're type three. We, we want that information. <laughs> we need it. <laughs> all right. Well, until next time. Yeah. Thanks, Kara, for all the knowledge. Go take the test and we'll talk to you hopefully soon. Let us know. Cheers. Cheers.